The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
Good morning, church. I want to ask you this morning a question. How many of you have had an unexpected encounter with God this week? Nobody raised their hand. Well, I'm going to raise mine. As I'm going to tell you, I started listening more closely. But sometimes he doesn't just speak to you where you get it the first time. Unexpected encounters with God. How many of you have met somebody this week that you didn't expect to see them, even at that location or wherever the place might be, and you you, you had a conversation with that person, and it led to a conversation about Christ? Whether it be a believer, a non-believer, that's irrelevant. I'm going to tell you a little story happened to me just a few short weeks ago, and I'm glad the gentleman is here this morning. I'm at the I'm at the plant, and I'm fixing to leave one plant and go to the other facility, and I see a pickup parked down at the back of the the, the plant, and I went. That's peculiar. That's not one of our trucks down there. So I drove down there, unexpecting who I would see. And and we had a conversation that was enlightening and uplifting to both of us. And Donnie, I thank you for that conversation. That conversation led me into other conversations since then with believers and non-believers alike that gave me an opportunity to tell this story that I'm going to tell you. I grew up in a home where God was at. My father was a music minister. He pastored churches. God was in our house. And we started going to church when I was very little 
at Westside Baptist Church that no longer exists. And I'm about six, maybe seven years old. And I watch this person walk to the front of the church and accept Christ. And the church erupted in elation for that person. Well, I determined I wanted that. I didn't know what this Jesus thing was, but I wanted that. So a few weeks later, I did the same thing. The church went crazy. The fact of the matter was, folks, it was all for me. It wasn't for Jesus. I walked down the aisle and got the congregation's applause for me. Well, remember I told you I grew up in a home that God was there. Jesus was there daily. You knew it. So I knew how to act. I knew what was expected of me and how to present myself. And we went to church every time the door was open because Dad was going to be there. About 14 years ago, I'm sitting in the church. I don't really know why I'm there. I'm going through a very difficult time, and I'm there. And I'm going to share this part with you because, it's, guys, I will never forget this feeling. And I'm hoping and praying that through the tabernacle experience, some of you guys will understand this feeling. Anyway, I'm sitting in Central Baptist Church in, in, in Clovis. Not real sure why I'm there. Friends of mine have asked me to come. And I'm sitting about midway back on the left side. And the preacher's message just crawled all over me that day. I fall down on my face at the invitation time in the chair. I never made it to the front of the church. And I'm crying. Ever seen a six foot two, 240-pound man, man cry? I was doing that, crying. Because I had lived a false life and knew it. And this is the part that, boy, I can still feel it today. And I'm laying, sitting on my knees down between those chairs. I feel a hand on my shoulder. And I hear one question. Are you okay? And I said, I am now. I am now. And I turned and I saw an elderly man behind me with his hand on my shoulder. And I turned around to use the chair in front of me to stand up, to turn around and talk to this man, and he was gone. He was gone. I asked folks that were sitting around in the area around me, who was that guy? He said, there was nobody there. Oh, yes, there was. Because I felt him touch me. And guys, I'm telling you, the power of Jesus, you can't deny it. You can't. So as you take this communion today, remember that sacrifice that He did for each of us and that encounter that you can have with Christ, that encounter that you can have with somebody else that might give you the uplifting that you need or give you that opportunity to speak Jesus to them.
Let us pray. Our Father God, we come to you this morning, Father. We thank you and we praise you for all those blessings, Father. We thank you for your son's death on the cross and, Father, his resurrection and what that means to our lives, Father God. And we just ask that you continue to pour out your blessings. Father, we just ask now that you be with each member here and their families and watch over them and give them guidance and direction that if there's somebody they need to talk to, that they take your strength and they talk to them. Why is home decor so important? I mean, let's be honest. You got HGTV, you got Bob Vila, you got uh, Chip and Joanna. This is a this is big business. In fact, it's so big business that in 2022, home decor was a 616 billion dollar industry. By way of comparison, 2001 was a $129 billion industry. In 1984, it was a $461 million industry. Estimates, uh, experts estimate it could be over, by 2027, it could be over 850, maybe even a trillion. Who's spending that kind of money? I don't have that kind of money. Now, some of y'all have great taste, and, and you might... You might have uh, wonderful things in your home, but if you don't, if you don't have good home decor, if you don't have a good eye, you might end up with something like this. Uh, this is a staircase. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. That is carpet that is made uh, uh, to look like uh, follicles, and uh, yeah, it's okay to gag. It's all right. Because if you had this in house, in your house, you might be expecting some pretty hairy falls. <laughs> Come on, Chase. Yeah. All right, there we go. All right, what about this bathroom? I mean, everybody wants this next picture, this bathroom. I know you are green with envy for that one right there. All right. Everybody likes a fireplace. What about a fireplace? You wouldn't like, I mean, who wouldn't like that fireplace? Honestly, I've, I've been feeling kind of bad about this because I think this fireplace might be sick. It might have the flu. Come on now, come on. I don't even have a sermon. I just wrote puns this week. That's all I did. Uh, now, but why does it matter what our home look like? What home looks like? Because it expresses how we live, Right? expresses how we love it, it it expresses your taste it is a a place of comfort it is a place to escape stress and anxiety now i get it that not every home is that way but would it be fair to say that is the way the home is designed to be it's supposed to be a place to escape pain and stress a place that strengthens relationships and and increases productivity I read a place, a house is made of bricks and beams, a home is made of hopes and dreams. Thank you, Hobby Lobby. Uh, there, there's great truth out there. We're in this series called His Dwelling Place. What makes the tabernacle God's home? Now, today we're going to go into the tabernacle proper in there, but I'm going to preview here. I'd like you to join me in Exodus 36. If you're online or on the radio, join me in Exodus 36, 
But all throughout today, there are going to be some verses up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to help me out. Just write them down on your back of your bulletin or go to them and look at them. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want you to know that's where I'm getting the information from. So we're not making this up. And I'd like you to check it and follow up with me. But I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that you're online and with us. Because if a home is a place of comfort and strength, a place that empowers us and encourages, encourages us. How is this tabernacle God's home? Let's go in Exodus 36. I'm going to start in verse 8. The skilled craftsmen made ten curtains of finely woven linen for the tabernacle. Then Bezalel decorated the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. All ten curtains were exactly the same size, 42 feet long, 6 feet wide. Some of you still have, may have cubits in there. It's okay. They all measure all out the same. Five of these curtains were joined together to make one long curtain, and the other five were joined to make a second long curtain. He made 50 loops of blue yarn and put them along the edge of the last curtain in each set. The 50 loops along the edge of one curtain matched the 50 loops along the edge of the other curtain. Then he made 50 gold clasps and fastened the long curtains together with the clasps. In this way, the tabernacle was made of one continuous piece. Now you can go on and keep reading about the, the description of the tabernacle proper there, but I want you to note the sizes, specifically this building. The tabernacle starts about middle of the courtyard. If you've been out there to see, you know kind of where it sits and, and how it starts out there. Ten curtains... To make the roof were fine linen, finely woven linen, and it was embroidered in blue and purple and scarlet. You hear all of the detail and the beauty of it. 42 foot long, 6 foot wide, all joined together. Then if you keep reading in there, there are 11 curtains of goat hair that will go on top of this that are 45 foot long by 6 foot wide that, that will cover it and make it weatherproof. And, and it is 15 feet high, it is 15 feet wide, and it is 45 feet long, which fits very comfortably in the... 70, 75 feet wide by 150 foot long courtyard. Okay, now the one that is out here is exactly that except for one factor. Uh, the, it is 75 feet wide, it's 150 feet long. The, court, the tabernacle proper is 15 feet wide, it's 45 feet long. And it is not 15 feet high, it's 11 and a half feet high. The reason for that is because this one was built in California, and if they sent it out, California rules required them to send out a structural engineer every time they put it up. And ain't nobody got the cash to do that. So they cheated, not to disrespect God, to just get it under that 12 foot so we could do it legally. Everybody cool with that? So everything out there is exactly except for that one feature, okay? But I want you to see that a lot of it is acacia wood overlaid in gold. And, and I need you to get that because this is where the common meets the precious. God has always used ordinary things. When you come in the courtyard, the courtyard is wood that is covered in bronze. And then as it gets closer, it is uh, brighter and, and more powerful. And God has always used ordinary things to teach lessons, hasn't he? I mean, that's all Jesus' parables are. 
Jesus' parables are all lessons in uh, what he's seeing in normal life. Creation, we're all made from dust. Normal things. He uses locusts and frogs to show power to all of Egypt. And the most ordinary thing he uses on this planet today, you and me. Just as ordinary as can be. I love this David Jackman quote. The world is attracted to ordinary people living, or, extra, living ordinary lives who demonstrate an extraordinary godliness seen in love. Now, I want you to get that because that's the framework for this building. And as we enter into the holy place, we're going to see three pieces of furniture. We're going to start with the lampstand. As you come into the courtyard, the lampstand is going to be on your left. Thank you very much. You're you're working with me here. Left, uh, we enter in the east, so left is... South, thank you. All right, all right, okay. I just want to make sure we're all on the, on the same page. You can find out all about this in Exodus 25. And I'm not going to read all that, but you need to understand, this is the only source of light in the whole tabernacle. This is the only thing that, that lights up the holy place. And in the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant is, there is no light at all except the presence of God. So the only light that is in the holy place comes from this lamp. It is the first thing that you see that is made of solid gold. It is 75 pounds of one piece of gold. That to me is powerful. It's it's hammered gold, and the cups at the top are filled with, according to Exodus 25, clear oil by pressed olives, and it must be pure. It also goes on to tell you that it's covered with branches and buds and blossoms of almond. I don't have a clue why that's there. So I start digging around. And the Jewish Torah commentary tells us this. It says the almond tree is the earliest spring flowering plant in the land of Israel, often before the end of February. I don't know if that's why, but this is what God said. Put branches and buds and blossoms of almond on it. And then if you look at it, it kind of bears the resemblance, doesn't it, of a tree. Now, you could say a menorah or something, and I'd be all right, but, but doesn't it look like a tree? Well, if it is, then surely those buds and blossoms mean something. Actually, they, no, they serve no function, no physical function, which makes me go, then why are they there? And I've looked, and this is my opinion, okay, this is my opinion, but it seems to me it has to be symbolic, It has to be a symbol to draw us to the the image, the tree of life. Would that be a fair statement? John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You notice how it's, it's one tree and branches off of it. It's not seven different wild branches. It's all off of one source. And if you go on to Numbers chapter 8, you'll find out that it says, Place the, place the lampstand so that the light shines forward. In fact, it says that four times in Numbers chapter 8. Place it so that the light shines forward. And I think that's very powerful. I think there's a really great imagery there. Light that shines into dark places. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I love this Spurgeon quote. We brought it up a few months ago, and, and it just still 
it, it still rings me. The Bible is not the light of the world. The Bible is the light to us. If they don't respect the Bible out there, they're not seeing it as light. We respect God's Word. We are people of the Word, right? Then we're to take God's Word and God's character and God's heart and be His light into the world. He built us that way. So here's my question, and I want you to answer out loud. Where have you shown Him this week? Now, I didn't ask, did you go to church this week? I didn't ask, were you a good person this week? Because a lot of times we have this mindset that says, well, I just do my thing and, and they'll see me being godly, which I think is true to an extent. But Numbers tells us to shine this light purposefully, intentionally. And I'm asking you, how have you shined light intentionally? Because God's calling us to do that. And if we see that, then we see the power of, of what He is trying to build in this tabernacle. And that's the first piece of furniture. You come in to the left is the lampstand. Then right directly behind you, or if you come in and you go to the right, is the table of showbread. It is on the north side of the tabernacle proper. In Exodus 25, it will show you all the details about the, the table of showbread. It is made of wood. It is overlaid in gold. Again, humanity meets deity. But verse 30 of Exodus will tell us the bread must be before me at all times. So how often is this table to be empty? Never. It's not supposed to be empty at all. And to me, that, that just seems so clear that it is a place of communion and fellowship. Now let's be honest. If somebody invites you over for dinner at their house, an invitation to a meal to set at somebody's table... Isn't that a privilege? And, and it is an invitation, a, a sign of acceptance, or an invitation, I want to learn more about you. Isn't that true? I mean, whether it's coffee or dessert, the purpose of it is fellowship. I want to get to know you. Hey, how have you been? What do you do? And let's get to know each other. Fellowship is the goal. I want to build relationships. And look real close at the bread. What is about this bread? In Leviticus 24, it will tell us that you have to have two rows of six, uh, two, two piles of six, meaning all 12 tribes are represented at the table. Now, the priests could eat this bread on the seventh day after it had set before God for seven days. And new bread came out. But Leviticus will tell us that all of the bread has to come from the original piece of dough. From one original piece of dough. And I thought that was really kind of unique. And not just, hey, run down to the store and get me another loaf of bread. Where you know This is specific. And it drew me to this verse in 1 Corinthians that Paul says... Because there is one loaf, we who are many are of one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Now, you've probably heard that verse in use of communion, Lord's Supper, and it's very, very accurate. But could not, couldn't Paul be referencing that? Couldn't he be tying a Jewish mind to, to know that that table is there? We are all together. Now, now get this. You've got pure oil in this lamp over here. And you've got very pure bread on this table over here. Do you think that's a coincidence? I do not. 
I think there is a, a message of purity. So we have light on this side. We have bread on this side. There's one more piece of furniture, and it is right back here. It is the altar of incense. That looks like a drum, but it's not. It's the altar of incense. Work with me, all right? And uh, altar of incense is in Exodus 30, and, and it stood right before the veil. It's a square box. It is overlaid in gold, not bronze, and it has horns on the four corners. And yes, it has a sacrifice. But I want you to see this, and I hope you get this, that when you come into the holy place, it engages your senses. When you come in, in fact, if you've been through it out there, it, you're out in this courtyard, it's really super bright, you'll turn those curtains, and it is dark in there. And it even says on the narration, your eyes are having a hard time getting accustomed to, to this because it goes from very bright to very dark. You've got light over here, you've got food over here, and you've got a smell up here. But I want you to see something else. You have seen two altars at this point. When you come in, there is one big altar out in the yard, right? Out in the courtyard. There is the altar of sacrifice. It is wood covered in bronze. It has four horns. But the second one is wood covered in gold, and it has four horns, and it's in the holy place. The bronze sacrifice out in the yard has a sacrifice perpetually burning. God starts the fire. It doesn't stop. That fire runs all the time. In here, you have incense perpetually burning. It's going all the same time. Now listen to me. This is, this is big for me. One is dealing with all of the negative from your past. And one is fellowship with Him because all of the past has been clean. You getting me? And I'd like to propose to you something today. I think we need to live a life that is at both altars. I, need, I think we need to live at both altars. And here's why. We need to experience that Jesus dealt with all of our sin. Now, how many of your sins did Jesus die for? All of them. How many is all? All is all. All is all. All is every. Not all of your sin is not some of your sin. All is, all is not, well... You get, and then you learned about Jesus, and then you messed up, and you better get yourself straight. You see, because the enemy will come in, and he will whisper into you that you're messed up. That you've made too many mistakes. You're too broken, or those people are too lost, or they've made too many mistakes, right? And he starts whispering in our ear of guilt and of negativity. That's when we need to return to this altar. But not to do a bunch more. We don't need to bring a bunch more sacrifice because one sacrifice already paid it. We need to be reminded. We need to come back to that altar and be reminded everything is paid for. All means all. Amen? Amen. All of our sins have been paid for. And then we need to come back to this altar and we need to smell the goodness of God. Why the incense? Listen to these verses. Psalm 141 and verse 2 says, Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Revelation 5 and verse 8 says, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
The altar of incense represents prayer. The floating up of the incense, when you're out there watching it, it's, it's trickling up and it's making little smoke trails. It's the incense. It's, it's a reminder of the sweet-smelling sacrifice of prayer. Do you realize candles are a $2 billion industry? And, and, you will, and they, they make 80% of their sales in November and December. That's kind of huge, I thought. Now, I'm not the typical guy. and I mean, typically guys, we go, clean enough. All right, I... It's not me, okay? I, I, I'm very... T- Ooh, I don't like smells, all right? It smells are big to me. I like candles, and I like that, okay? Why? I'll tell you why. Our olfactory senses, biologists and body people will tell us they are directly tied to pleasure centers. Smelling good makes me feel good. Get it? makes humans it is tied in our biology that is this that that is the where our pleasure centers are and what smell does god like now be real clear clear about what i said there because when i read it the first time i read what does god smell like and i looked at my own notes and went why did i write that that doesn't make any sense uh that's not what i said what smell does god like he likes the aroma of our hearts i told you i I want you to see this tabernacle not just to volunteer but i want you to see the responses yesterday morning was a powerful one for me the very first group out of the bat yesterday morning was a family from clovis that are military family i had a bunch of kids and family and there was eight of them in that group and so we were getting everything going and it and and uh, Marlon's out here, and we got people in there, and making sure the fire's going, and all this stuff in this. And so, if you've gone through it, you know you come in, you come to the welcome, you get all your checked in, and you go over to this little reading area. And you got this. He's he's very obviously military, and I mean that very very respectful, because even when he's sitting there, he's like this, you know, he's buff, big, and he's got a little boy right next to him. I'm gonna guess six, seven years old. He's got his arm around him, and he's got the little booklet that they would give you out there, and he's reading through it, and, he, and he's pointing, and 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 he's just and I watched him as they went through, and they're holding hands, and that little boy's just snuggled up to his dad, and I remember watching that and going, I don't care what that thing cost, it was worth it for that vision right there. You hear me? Don't you think if you and I get warm fuzzies when we see that, don't you think God does? What does God, what does He like to smell? He likes to, to see and smell and taste when families are working together. A woman brings a jar of oil and breaks it on Jesus' feet, an alabaster jar. A, a ridiculous gift because it was lavish worship from lavish love. Now, now stick with me. See if we can make some sense of this. You got light over here. You got bread over here. You got smell over here. Look at the three pieces of furniture that are in the holy place. You got a lampstand that is the tree of life, the light of the world. You got this place over here that's a table of communion, a table of fellowship. And over here you got the incense of sweet smelling prayers. You know what I see? I see the acts of worship. 
I see a heart of worship. The holy place is where worship happens. But here, take it all in. Where do you enter the tabernacle from? Through the lion of? Which is Jesus, right? We come in through the very first thing we de- we see is a giant altar of sacrifice. Something needs to be sacrificed to pay for my sins. I didn't bring a goat, but my brother paid my price. True? And so then I go past that, I go to the labor and I wash off the world and I wash off all of the influence in the world. And the next place I enter, a holy place is worship. It's a time of worship, but it's a space of worship. It is with all my senses, my sight, my smell, my taste. Scripture tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. I tell you that because worship is not just the time that we sing songs. Worship is a mindset. It is a reorientation, a needed and necessary reorientation of our life. Because the world out there has a lot of stories. And if I spend too much time looking at the news, you know what I'm talking about? If I spend too much time listening to everything that's wrong out there, it's going to send my attitude and my mind right in the toilet. And I'm going to be really discouraged. I'm going to really be disappointed. There's no hope for me. So I need to get my head around him. Scott Mamaday, I shared this story a few years ago, and it still sticks with me. Scott Mamaday is a writer and a teacher. He's a Ph.D. professor at Stanford University. He won the Pulitzer Prize for some of his writings. He is all of those things, and he is a full-blood Kiowa Indian, Kiowa Native American, if you would. And, and he tells this story that when he was six or seven years old, that his dad woke him up early and he took him to this house of this little old lady. It was a little old lady in their Kiowa tribe. She was a Kiowa squaw. She was a hundred years old. And dad's going to drop him off at at this little lady's house. And I mean, he had heard the name, but no, I want you to go here and I want you to stay with her all day. I don't want to do that, Dad. Are you not going to stay with me? He's going to drop me off. And he's kind of freaking out a little bit. But he gets her over there. It gets him over there and he takes her into the house. He takes her in the house. She's a sweet little old lady and just kind of tries to talk to him and settle, settle him down. Dad leaves. And she just visits with him. And they have a cup of coffee and they start talking. And... and she just starts telling about her past. She told about the buffalo hunts. She sang songs. She told him stories. Mama Day says he told her, told of how her people came from the hollow log of the Yellowstone River. About the arrival of the white man. Uh, about the oppression. About the people moved to the reservation at Fort Sill and how they how they lived and and how hard it was. And he goes on in his book and he says, it was late in the day after dark when dad arrived to pick me up. But this is what he wrote, and I want you to hear this. He said, I arrived there a boy, but when I left her house, I was a Kiowa. Now I tell you that, because Fred Craddock says to be a Christian is to be enrolled in the story. Anyone who cannot remember back more than his or her birth is an orphan. We need to re- be reminded weekly of our story, of his 
story. That's why we, we didn't move this church elsewhere when we wanted to expand. We wanted to stay right here. We wanted to tie to our history. We needed to... It, it reminds us, us of the story. Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Blessed Redeemer, stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. There will be showers of blessings. Showers of blessings we need. Or what about stuff we've sang today? There's joy in the house of the Lord when? Today. And we won't be quiet. Or is it more like this? There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? That worship has to remind us of His story. Yes, there are hurting hearts in this room. There are hurting hearts watching. But worship tells His story. I will build my life upon Your love, upon Your Word, upon Your mercy. Is He worthy of our praise? Is He worthy of... Yes, He is. You see, these are the words of our story. That tent out there reminds us that He wants to be here with us in His story. His house is furnished not with pews and pianos, but with smells and light and bread. That's the home decor that matters. I want you to get this. God didn't wait for Israel to get settled into the promised land before he started teaching them about worship. Now we know the story. If you've been with us, we've been talking about it, that they were in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. They didn't listen. So you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. It was, they were never lost. They didn't forget a map. They were put there on purpose. God could have said, well, fool you on you. I'm just going to wait till you all die, and then I'll talk to you. And he said, no, you need to get in the habit of worship right now. Long before there is a temple, long before there is a holy land, you need to get the mindset of worship. Guess what? We need to do that too. Long before there is a heaven, we need to bring heaven here. We need to start the habits of proper worship. I'm not talking about style. I'm not talking contemporary versus traditional. I'm talking about surrender. I'm talking about letting Him control things. His house, my friends, is not a building. His house is here. The tabernacle is here. He has furnished it with light. He has furnished it with food. He has furnished it with smell. With His presence. And worship has got to begin right here. Now that, my friends, is decor worth getting. Would you pray with me? God, we want to build our life on You. We want our habits to reflect You. And I pray that our worship is not just songs on Sunday, but it is a mindset that we are seeing You. Like Wes said, the, the incidental contacts, that we, we see You, that we smell You, that we touch You, that, that You are in our life and that we are giving You glory and first position. So, Father, build our hearts on You. Thank You for Your mercy.
Thank you for dwelling with us. It is through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.